Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another episode. I'm your host, Aaron Osborne. This week, my guest is Alec Faber. Alec plays in Twitching Tongues and God's Hate and Nudie Mag and has played in a bunch of other bands um, and was kind enough to chat to me about the deluxe edition of Pinkerton by Weezer. Um, we go into detail as to why the deluxe edition in uh, the episode, but it is an important distinction from the regular record. This is the second time I've talked about a Weezer record. We, I did the blue record with Callum Preston, um, so go and check that out. Um, but yeah, it was interesting to talk about another record in the scope of our band's career because you can reflect on the conversation I had previously about it and, uh, you know, doing more research into a band and stuff like that. It was cool. Um, Alex, a big fan of this record and, and the band, uh, so it was obviously good to hear his opinion on that and then just talk a bunch of shit about other things um yeah got a bunch of good episodes coming up <clears throat> with cool guests and cool records go back and listen to the old ones um check out the web store if you want to look at the merch and other things that i've got up there um otherwise enjoy listening to episode 98 of the oblivious maximus podcast with alec faber talking about the deluxe version of Pinkerton by Weezer. Fucking brutal. Alec, thank you for doing the podcast with me. For sure. <laughs> All right. So before we get into exactly why you picked the record... Let's talk about why this version of the record. So you picked Pinkerton by Weezer, but you picked the deluxe version. Yeah, so I picked this version because it has most of the songs that are... um, It has the big songs uh, that are on uh, Songs songs from the Black Hole, which Mm -hmm. is the space opera yeah <laughs> uh record that never happened yeah um and to me as a as a, you know i've been a weezer fan for a long time to me the b-sides to pinkerton are, are the best songs and uh whenever i listen to pinkerton i always actually listen to songs from the black hole i have like a uh in like 2002 their um entire track listings of the album started leaking online and uh, so there's like, I think, three versions of the full album. Yeah. And uh, I got one off of Soul Seek, you know, when I was in high school. Yeah. And uh, that's actually the version of Pinkerton that I listened to. So I, um, yeah, so I, I picked the deluxe edition so that, you know, it's something that you you could hear without having to track down this, you know, this rarities album or whatever. <laughs> yeah, sure. It's, I mean, it's wild how, well, I mean, the, the first note that I made when I started getting, when I got past, I suppose, like the, the album, you know, the, the main album tracks is that uh, as someone who, you know, like I've obviously listened to Weezer and I know the band and stuff like that and, you know, have have done a podcast about one of the other records, but like, for me, they're a band that like, I know the hits kind of thing. Like I know this, I know the songs and I've heard them before or whatever. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, honestly for me too, like, I think, everything that I would say is like the things that I liked most about this record 
come after the end of the record. Yeah, yeah, to- like, totally. <laughs> which is like, I guess, kind of weird in the in the sense that, like, well, I mean, yeah. The, so, I guess you know, doing base level research, but like r- reading that they were going to, you know, trying to make like a sci-fi <laughs> opera, rock opera, is like. Yeah. It's such a weird term, but I guess it, you know, again, from reading about it, it was in sort of in response to the, uh, I guess, the reaction they got from the first record, right? Yeah, totally. And it's it's so interesting reading and, you know, listening to interviews about that time period for, for Rivers in particular, mm. how uh, I think he had sort of the same response as like Kurt Cobain did to Stardom. Yeah. And he just had, a, you know, a different coping mechanism than Kurt did. <laughs> yeah. um, instead of, you know, drugs, he turned to education. Space he turned, opera. He turned into, <laughs> yeah, he turned into, uh, like, becoming kind of a hermit. Yeah. Um, he kind of went inward um, as opposed to being more self-destructive. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think that, A, I will acknowledge that, like, the record itself, like, the response to stardom is kind of narcissistic in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, but I just think that the whole thing is, is so interesting and the response to the album, once it finally came out, um, really kind of set the trajectory for Weezer's career for the next 25 years because he basically stopped writing anything that meant anything to him because yeah. people hated people hated this record when it came out. It's it's really odd because I, I mean, again, like after listening to it a couple times through, including obviously the the stuff you know the deluxe aspect of it. In just listening to the other part, you know, the first part of the record, though, I mean, I think, again, as not a big fan of the band, as an outsider, I suppose, I feel like the sound, the sound of the record certainly, and then like the vibe of of the you know Pinkerton part of it, I actually like quite a bit more than the blue album just on like and i don't know if it's because it's you know uh, because of the the tone of it or what but like i mean just from like a i guess another perspective on it like the guitar tone on this is fucking crazy like it's it's, so huge sounding (laughs) it is and what's so cool about uh this record as opposed to the blue album and the green album because i think the blue blue and green both had the same qualities. They're both produced by um, Rick Ocasek from The Cars. Yeah. And you can really hear it in um, some of the production and some of the melodies and stuff. And uh, Pinkerton's entirely self-produced. Yeah. And I, th- and I think that the, the sonically it comes through, um, along th- with like thematically, the record is way more raw. It's, mm. uh, I feel like, and, and we can get to this later, but it seems like it's less thought out. Like, like they're like, you know how it has all those weird, like vocal, weird vocal things going on. Like, but all that stuff is planned, which is crazy. Um, but it doesn't sound that way. The, the, the record sounds a lot more raw, a lot more, um, kind of in the moment. It doesn't sound perfect. Like the blue album does. Yeah. Um, and even the guitars are kind of less showy. It's, he's not yeah, like yeah. showing off. There's no like big, big solos or like um, even just like cool noodling that happens in like Say It Ain't So. That That's mm. not on this record at all. Um, yeah. 
So I think it's, it's like a, a stripped down kind of like if this if Blue Album is never mind, this is in utero kind of thing. Yeah, sure. And like the, I mean, the other thing that I noticed, well, I, a note that I made is like the, you know, in that deluxe version, like the, 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 the tracking versions of the songs yeah. and like, to be honest, those tracking version ones, m- maybe I like more than oh, yeah. the album version. Like, I don't, and I don't know if it's because it's even more like stripped back sounding, but it like. And I don't, I, I mean, I can't say that, like, there's too many records that I'm like, oh, the live version is way better than, mm-hmm. you know, or, or the demo version is way better or whatever. But, like, certainly that, at least those, the frame that the, that tracking version has, to me, that, that sounds like, oh, that's clearly what they wanted it to sound like. Like, that's how they had it, you know? Yeah. Is the, does the deluxe version have a, I think it has the demo version of Tired of Sex, the first yeah. track. That, That's the note That I version made. is so awesome. It's like a little bit faster. Yeah. It's a little bit harder sounding. Like that, yeah. the, it ha- basically has a breakdown at the end and it sounds like, yeah. I don't know, it <laughs> the sounds note, awesome. <laughs> the note I made is Tired of Sex tracking version, way better, heaps heavy. So, oh yeah. <laughs> it's It's like so loud, like... I don't know. It, it borderline. It doesn't sound mixed. It just sounds sick. I don't know. Yeah, it, I mean, that's, it's just interesting. Yeah, that like that. Yeah, that that the. I suppose there is uh, some sense of a negative stigma around it. And I don't know. Obviously, that's probably not from Weezer fans. That's probably from a critical aspect. But I don't know. Is that? Well, it seemed. I mean, I know that just from reading, you know, over the years that the Pinkerton tour was successful like mm-hmm. you know they they kind of got to elevate to bigger venues they this the tour was successful it was like destroyed by critics i don't think the album was selling well yeah um, i don't know it's it just wasn't he like he refused to do a buddy holly type video which the label yeah. really, really wanted him to do and uh i think he was tired of the label wanting to sell a certain image where he didn't feel like the music reflected that. Sure. And uh, so I think he was kind of torn between, I mean, this, this is kind of like how it is for every band um, between a first and second album, like a first album. It's exciting. You had years and years to prepare for it. And it's like, you know, it's usually a band's best work. Mm. And then the second album, there's expectation. There's your own disappointments, your own, expectations and i think that just because they were like the it band for for like a year two years um he kind of just i don't really i don't mean i i don't know personally but it just seems like he kind of caved under the pressure even though i think it's his best artistic work i think it's just you know the label didn't want whatever he was giving him yeah and it's, i can't imagine i can't imagine a major label re- um releasing the space opera version like that's oh yeah that sounds like <laughs> i mean they're not queen they're not yeah gonna, yeah what label's gonna pay for that so well and and as well like it's it's it, it would be interesting as well and again i don't know this because i've never been on a major record label but i also i would imagine as well regardless of the success of the record to that label they're still just a band that had one record so totally. like yeah like they wouldn't be letting them make 
space opera decisions the second <laughs> no, time yet. round. You know, not that's yet. like no, that's ten not. records deep or whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah like, exactly. It's so it's it, it's it's quite interesting that he. I mean, yeah, like you said, like I mean, I guess it's it seems as you said, like it is. It does reflect quite of like a somewhat narcissistic personality, but as well. It is also quite self-destructive in a way, even though it's, you know, it's not, oh, right. you know, it's not drugs that he's using, but having success and the response to that is, oh, well, now I'm going to like, you know, do something that may alienate a lot of people and totally. certainly the record label. You know? Yeah. And I mean, it's interesting that uh, my, com- my uh, camera keeps just turning off. Um, no, that's fine. Anyway. Um, yeah, it's interesting that that uh, that was like. I, I, I'm curious what the band meeting was like with where they're like, yeah. "Hey, this is this is the direction we we just had this like multi platinum selling record. Um, we're 24 years old. Let's <laughs> let's do something crazy. <laughs> I don't really yeah. understand. I mean, I respect it because that's kind of what a real artist would do. Like, this is what they want to do. Yeah, whatever. But um, yeah, when I when I started learning about that, you know, as I became more and more of a fan and, and learning about the kind of the secret history of that album, I just was kind of blown away that that was something that a, a band on a major label would even consider. Yeah. So when when did you is this like yeah, I guess when did you first hear the record slash when did you first start getting into Weezer? Uh I didn't actually get into Weezer until um probably when the first single for green album came out okay so that that was probably like spring 2001 sure or end of 2000 so i was like 12 12 13 um yeah. and i had liked i mean my parents were young so they liked you know all different kinds of music like green day dookie was in the house uh rollins band right. was in the house um my mom was like a, a morrissey smith's person mm-hmm. so um there's always like good music around the house but um i think this was the first band that i kind of discovered on my own sure and uh it was green album which um i still defend to this day i know a lot of people are big t- they say the green album is where they fell off but i actually have an argument that they fell off like three records later <laughs> um <laughs> but you know this is like not it's not pre-internet but it's before I was old enough to be on like message boards and stuff. Yeah. So I got Green Album, um, I got Blue Album, I got Pinkerton. So this was I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in indie rock circles. I didn't know that Pinkerton was the quote unquote bad record. Yeah. So and I think there's some kind of like freedom to to being young and oh absolutely dis- discovering these records and and liking them on their own merit as opposed to like. Uh, being told, hey, this is the bad record, this record sucks, whatever. Yeah. And uh so I love I loved Pinkerton right away. It was kind of it was the darker record, like yeah. um it was heavier. I mean I don't even know if it's necessarily heavier, but it's because Blue Album's pretty heavy. But um it's definitely I don't know more... if it's like the tone crossed with the vibe. <laughs> like I don't know how to explain that. But like to me that's just how it sounds. Like it sound like if 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 I were to say blue album is like you know it's kind of like a poppy record because it's Mm -hmm. got singles i suppose 
but it's not like this record doesn't have singles, but it, it, I don't know, just as a package, like it seems like a lot more, I don't know, up my alt alley <laughs> than, you know. Totally. And, and, uh, when you, when you read that, like a lot of these songs were written, um, when he was at Harvard mm. in the, in the winter, um, I think that the, I mean, just from the cover art, but it's definitely a winter album. Whereas, yeah. uh, whereas the blue album is kind of a summer go surfing album. Sure. And, uh, I think that, that appealed to me too. Like I, you know, I was a young kid getting into, um, to punk and, and, and hardcore and stuff like that. So if I'm going to listen to a, a radio rock album, it's going to be Pinkerton because it's heavy, but it's still, I mean, it's got hooks, but it's, it's a dark, much darker record than, than especially green. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like, I suppose the other thing too is, you know, as a band, obviously they, and, you know, coming out of a record that had lots of singles and, you know, big songs and things like that, they're obviously very good at writing, you know, catchy riffs and, uh, you know, particularly like the vocal melodies and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, it's not like this record doesn't have that though. Like there's tons of catchy riffs and there's certainly, I mean... There's a lot of guitar parts on this that are like, you know, earworm sort of guitar riffs as oh, well. Oh, totally. Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it's it's interesting to me that it is, it like, again, I don't know. I'm not a fucking music critic and I never probably will be. But like, it is, it, it is interesting that the way that that response can be to records like this. And I think like, honestly, I think at this point now doing this podcast, I think I've talked to people about like four other records that have been like these critically panned, but then years later, a heralded as like yeah. the best one. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, it's weird. Like, um, I mean, a lot of great music is, isn't accepted in its time, you know? Yeah. Um, it, it is weird to me listening to it. And, and maybe it's just because I've liked this record for so long that they couldn't sell this commercially. Like, doesn't yeah. really make it doesn't really make sense like especially when you consider this came out in 1996 so that's like you're getting the post grunge wave yeah. of like Candlebox and Seven Mary Three and yeah um, Bush you know yeah. and not Just... not that not that Weezer sounds like Bush but it almost does you know what I mean yeah <laughs> especially, yeah especially this album um, yeah. So it's it's odd to me that they couldn't sell it uh, in a way that you know those those bands existed for their own you know on their own ground. Why couldn't this record be? I don't know. It's just how do you follow how do you follow up a a record like Blue and uh, kind of change it up and I don't know maybe disappoint people. Yeah. But, uh, it it the, the I think El Scorcho, The Good Life. And I think Pink Triangle were all singles. Yeah. Well, I mean, was, like, I mean, El Scorcho is still getting played on fucking, you know, oh, rock all radio all the time yeah. now. You know, like, like, and I think I, again, like, you know, because I, I know the singles and I know the songs, like I, when the record's playing and I can, you know, see the track listing, okay, I know that that thing's coming up and I know that song or whatever. But like the... N- it also, to me, it's not like they don't fit within it. So, like, they, the so- those songs fit within the scope of the record um, in terms of, like, that. it's not like 
they're complete outliers for all the songs that came before or after them. Like they do right. sit well within the the track order and things like that. Um, but yeah, like certainly, I mean, and and the good life too. Like I'd say that's still getting played pretty regularly on the radio and shit. Like it's on, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure it's on fucking. I mean, like. I hear it enough to still know how the song goes. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right. And and, yeah, and not it's, being it's, someone who listens to the band all the time, you know? Yeah, totally. It, it's it's just weird. Like, I mean, those songs are on, all those singles are on the B side of the record. Yeah. Which is also crazy. Um, yeah. And they're all one after the other, actually. Wow, I didn't even realize that. But, um yeah, it's just, I, I don't really understand. I mean, I wasn't there to yeah. experience it. Um, but to me, and along with the B-sides, like, for me, the best songs are, I mean, obviously, uh, I Just Threw Out the Love of My Dreams is, is a great song. Mm-hmm. Um, you Gave Your Love to Me Softly is, like, one of my favorite Weezer songs. Yeah, um, I just wrote big guitar riff for that song it's yeah huge and it's like super <laughs> short it's like yeah uh it's short big chorus um mm. i don't know that's that's a great song it was actually you you remember that movie angus yeah from the 90s it was written for that right um, and the director didn't like it so they didn't use it oh is like that that stuff to me as well as like I don't know, and I, I don't know if it's just I associate the sound of this band with being in movies. But have their songs been used in films, like yes. other than so well, quite okay. a lot? Or uh, I can think of one, and it was used. It was like the theme of the of the movie is um, "Out Cold." Okay. Do you remember, do you remember that one, the snowboarding yeah. movie? Uh, yeah, yeah. Every time he would talk about this girl that he met on vacation they would play island in the sun okay so it was in the movie that makes sense all the way through (laughs) a million Um, times (laughs) yeah and uh i think it was in grind i don't know why it's in these like sports like a x Games sports movie (laughs) x games film (laughs) yeah it was the right uh, time for Waze's music to hit i think i think so so. yeah that's funny um like yeah because the the other one that I'm that I made a note of, which I think is like a big again a big thing for me in the in the scope of uh, the deluxe part of the record is, uh, and again I don't know how I've heard this as much as I've heard it, but I know it. I know the song so well is "Long Time Sunshine" and like oh. how I don't know how I know that song so well, but like yeah, that is that is kind of weird because it's not. It wasn't even yeah. released. Um, it wasn't even. Re- I think they posted on like a Weezer fan site in like 2004. Like that's the first time this song even was released. And I, I don't know. Maybe I have a friend somewhere in the world. Right. They can. They can let me know if it's them. <laughs> but like, how I know this? Like, or maybe I don't. And maybe it's just such a good hook that it's very well ingrained in my head. But like. That to me seems like a real missed opportunity for this record, as what well, in terms of like yeah. what the record is, not having that be a song on the album. You know, well, it, it was supposed to close the album, right? And uh, they wrote "Butterfly," and then that ended up closing it. Um, and it closes 
my my version of the um, songs from the black hole, it actually closes the record. But you right. have that you have those um, you have the harmonies at the end where they yeah they're throwing all the hooks from every song into it, and I don't yeah it's it's such an awesome song. It's so mellow. the The chorus is insane. Um, yeah, and even like I watched a like a live video of them playing it as you know as a as a band. Yeah, and that is even sick as well. Like a like a big riff version of it would have been cool as yeah, well. Yeah, totally. Know? Like there's and the thing about uh, I think the one song and it's actually one of my all time favorite Weezer songs um, that isn't on the deluxe edition is uh, called Blast Off. Okay. And um, that's the first track, actually, off Songs of the Black Hole. And I think they didn't include it on the deluxe edition because it's the only song that's really, like, overtly, this is about space. <laughs> so, like... <laughs> they had like, to leave uh, that one off. They had to leave. I, th- I think that's why, because it's, like, there's, like, a, a whole verse where it's um, their roadie Carl singing through a vocoder and, like, pretending to be a robot, basically. <laughs> And uh, okay. so I'm assuming that's why it got left off this track listing. But uh, yeah. the rest of the songs, like, um, hold on, I lost it. Get up, Getting Up and Leaving is amazing. Mm. Um, I don't think... Another one that stood out oh, for me well, is You Won't Get With Me Tonight. Oh, yeah, that's a great one. Like That, one's, that's that one awesome. is like... An, it's like an ass beater. It's like, it's like moving so fast and like, yeah, it's a great, that's like unlike any other Weezer song too. It's like Weezer doesn't move that quickly, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and maybe that's why it's, you know, a, a stick out that it doesn't, but like I get, I, the other thing for me too with, with all these songs is like, again, just from reading about it, but like it was recorded in such a like chopped up manner, like not recorded like it you know seem, it seems like obviously certain parts are recorded in different studios that's normal but like it seems like entire groups of songs are recorded separately as well yeah he was like going back and forth to to uh, sound city i guess between breaks um when he was in school so yeah. they would like he would like they would record like three songs um he would go back to boston and then on like Thanksgiving break, he would fly back and they would record three more songs. And it, honestly, uh, I didn't even know you could record music that way, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. When I, when I was well, younger, when I was yeah, younger, I, I, I assumed, especially like making records when I was younger, I was like, well, you have to, you have to do drums all in one day, right? <laughs> because they all, <laughs> they all got to sound the same. If you record, yeah, yeah. Them, if you record them somewhere else, they're not going to sound right. Um, yeah. So when I hear about records that are like recorded over years or, you know, recorded in different studios, it, it always used to blow my mind because I didn't understand like from an engineering aspect uh, how that's even possible. Um, yeah. And I guess as well, bands that do that use that as part of the production of the record. Like they oh, want totally. songs to sound, you know, differently or whatever. But yeah, I mean, I'm in the same boat. Like obviously, again, coming from hardcore and metal and punk and stuff like that's so far removed yeah. from the realm of possibility. Like, and, and the same thing too of like, wait, it costs so much money to do this once. How can we afford to do this multiple times? Yeah, it's like I was reading, um, I was reading like, 
they used this guitar on this song. They used this yeah. amp on this song. I'm like, well, if it does, how does it sound the same if they're doing? I don't know. Uh, yeah. That always kind of blew my mind uh, as a young music fan to hear about that. And uh, but yeah, I mean, I think not that the record feels disjointed because they are writing, no, not at all at writing and recording all at different times. But uh, it definitely knowing kind of knowing about what this record is and what it could have been not that it leaves something to be desired because we we have the songs it's not like we can't listen to the songs but yeah i'm i was always like getting a better version of some of these songs and maybe maybe not like what you're saying like tired of sex sounds better the demo version because it's faster and more raw um i think that there's like i don't know i think what makes this record cool is the mythology and kind of I don't know, piecemealing it together to kind of get what you like out of it. Um, yeah, and that's that's what that's what's so cool about it to me, especially. So, so is this is is this I guess that version this you know the the space opera style you know one that you've cobbled together is that now <laughs> is that your favorite Weezer record? Uh, yeah, definitely. It's if if I'm like in the mood for Weezer, I'll listen to the space opera one. Um, right. But that's, I mean, like I said, up up until Red Album, which came out in 2008, I think, mm-hmm. uh, I'll pretty much defend every record up until there. I think, right. you know, what happened to Weezer with Pinkerton sort of set the stage for the kind of like soulless pop music that they would write from then on. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's even there's there's stories and interviews actually where uh, the drummer Pat will talk about how Rivers has an Excel spreadsheet of hundreds yeah. hundreds of songs, and when they're like ready to put an album together, they kind of pick ten or twelve songs from that Excel spreadsheet of songs, and that's the record, and and that's sort of <laughs> wow. I know, and that's sort of kind of a testament to how. Uh, you know he he says he put his ha- heart out on this on this record and no one liked it. So I don't know if that's kind of him residing. Like if I'm going to be a musician, I'm just going to put 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 out like kind of soulless music. Yeah, um, it seems so odd. Like it seems like such an such an odd thing to carry on with for like it's like <laughs> so spiteful for like twenty years. <laughs> like, I know. Well, and he. In like early interviews in like the early two thousands, after um, Green Album and after Maldorick came out, people would ask him like about Pinkerton, like why don't you play songs of Pinkerton, blah blah blah. And he sort of started accepting the narrative that that the, the album wasn't good, and uh, like he would trash the album in interviews, oh, right. and saying that it sucked and stuff. And then um, I remember it must have been like. Before this, the deluxe version came out, but um, Pitchfork like redid their review of the record and gave it ten out of ten. And I think it gave they gave it like four out of ten before. Yeah. And right. it, so I, I think over time he's been like, oh, people actually like it. Okay, I think I like it now. And uh, yeah, right. It's it's interesting though because I think that they're especially Green Album. I think Green Album front to back is awesome. And it kind of gets shit on for being, um, like, I don't know, the uh, the Blue Album's shitty younger brother. 
Right. Um, because it's like it feels stock, but sure. I know. I know. I've been trying to write songs that are like that, and it's, <laughs> it ain't. It, it it ain't easy to write stock <laughs> pop songs. I tell you what. Mm. Um. So. Well, that and that it's funny too when people when people have that response to it, and um. I mean, you know, it's, I think, again, it's something that I've talked about on here a couple of times is like that view of, I don't know if it's selling out when you're already popular, but like the view of like it, you trying to, trying to do a certain thing and that, and that's the way you stick, that's the, the road you stick on or whatever. But like at the end of the day too, like it's, you know, I mean the, the Excel spreadsheet thing is interesting to, to think <laughs> about, but at this, at the same time, it's not, I you know, I, I wouldn't, you know, I don't think bands ever really, bands at least, ever go into something and go like, uh, you know, we want this to be shit or we want this to be a stock version. You know, like right. they're still yeah, going yeah. into it trying to be creative and trying to be like, you know, uh, which, yeah, it's it's interesting for me with, with, yeah, with the records like this that obviously are a turning point for the band because if it's, you know, if this was responded to really positively, then what would have been, you know, the trajectory yeah. for Weezer? Like, if this was a hit and everyone loved it, what, you know, maybe that, maybe then, maybe then we would have ten space opera style records <laughs> following it. You know, like, yeah, who it, knows? It, it's an interesting like alternate history to think about. Like, mm. I mean, he has he's released a bunch of uh, demo records. They're called Alone right. One, Two, and Three. And there's a bunch of demos on there. Some of them are uh, songs that ended up becoming Weezer songs like 10 years down the road. Um, mm-hmm. Some of them are just demos that we never hear a real version of again. And then some of them, like the song Blast Off that I was talking about earlier, that riff is basically what became Beverly Hills, which is like considered the most sellout song of all time by them. Um, right. And... Uh, it's it's really funny. He was on Larry King, and he was saying he was upset that. So this is this is why I, I don't think he fully sold out because I think he really believes this. But on Larry yeah. King, he he was saying like how he was upset that Beverly Hills wasn't nominated for a Grammy <laughs> because <laughs> because he said it was the best rock song that came out that year. And I you know <laughs> I recognize that the song sucks. But yeah. over over time, I've like, for a long time, I I backed that song as kind of a bit like Beverly mm-hmm. Hills. It's like Beverly Hills is art, you know. And uh, eventually, it, it's just like, okay, I actually really like that song. It's actually awesome. <laughs> um, my wife and I we we had a um, a Weezer cover band at our wedding. Yeah, I was um, gonna ask about that. <laughs> yeah, she indulged Tell me, me more. <laughs> she indulged me enough about that. Um, so we had. Like, she likes Weezer though as well, right? You didn't does, just yeah. force this. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. I would never do that. Maybe I would. But, uh, <laughs> we had we had a Weezer cover band. Um, they they would play like a twenty minute block, and then we had a DJ play, um, so yeah. to give them to give them a break. But it was really funny. We, we were picking the set list, and uh, that was like the main thing that I could do. Is um, I pick I got to pick the Weezer set list and. They emailed me back and they were like, "Hey, it's cool that you like all of these like deep tracks, but can you can you please like let us play some hits?" <laughs> and, 
because I guess I'm assuming they didn't want to have to learn like new songs. Um, yeah. But uh, this yeah, is really the, the, the deluxe tracks uh, yeah. in the repertoire. <laughs> yeah, I guess not. And they like they wanted to play "Say It Ain't So," and I'm like, that. Why is that a song you want to play at a wedding? <laughs> you yeah. know, like that. <laughs> that's not a wedding yeah. song. Because uh, I was I was like trying to pick like all the best like love songs, and a lot of them yeah. were like deep deep cuts and stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I always oh so back to Beverly Hills. I made them play Beverly Hills last. So, the, right. so like the bit kind of became like real, uh, because, you know, I had Beverly Hills play at my wedding, which is, which was really funny, but, uh, yeah. yeah so like, I think like it's interesting. Pinkerton is kind of about like a negative reaction to, to becoming famous, but I, th- I think he's kind of like, I don't know if he's that anxiety kind of merged with his own ego and yeah now he, now he like wants it so yeah you know i saw them i saw them the first time i saw them was in um i saw them in, i think it was 2002 maybe with the foo fighters and uh not a surf mm-hmm. and you know he was one way that was that was like the era where he was wearing suits and stuff and yeah. um still kind of like the geeky guy or whatever and then I saw him again in 2012, and then again a few years later. And he just—he seems like he's kind of bought into his own idea of "I'm a rock star" kind of thing, right? And uh, I don't know if that's what eventually happens to everyone who makes a ton of money in music, but uh, <laughs> it, it's such—it's so interesting with the juxtaposition with like the content of this album and kind of what he's become. I and you know I think Weezer. Um, Weezer still writes every record has like two songs that yeah. if every two songs from the last 20 years were one album it would be a legendary be album yeah yeah you know and like they should only have three records <laughs> um, that spreadsheet has really yeah. <laughs> done a number on them <laughs> uh, it's what it, I mean it's impressive I couldn't write 200 songs and no no get way. someone to pay, get someone to pay for the recording of <laughs> all those songs. I've been so, trying for fucking yeah, years. <laughs> I know. Yeah, no one wants to. Uh, no one wants to pay for an album that you're not going to play shows on. So, yeah, it's. I mean, it's really. I guess the other thing that's interesting for me with all with like all of that considered, particularly like the his response to fame and <clears throat> I guess being a rock star and things like that is that. He's so heavily, I guess, at least in, you know, when reading about him specifically, like you see so much stuff, like all the stuff about him being really into like, into like metal bands and like hair metal type stuff. And then that carrying over into, you know, that they use like massive amps live and, you know, the, the Weezer W is like, you know, lit up and it's a big, you know, obviously it's a rip off of the Van Halen logo and it's like, it, you know, like it's so funny that there's that there's this aspect of what he says that is i don't want to it's my my reaction to that is to to react negatively but then so much of what the band does i suppose is the complete opposite by by having you know and again maybe that's him leaning into it going well fuck you i am a rock star like right here's my light up thing behind me you know yeah it's 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 funny like he he talks about how he learned how to shred listening to Slayer and yeah 
um, like the, I read in an interview, it was like it was a, uh, I think it was the 20th anniversary, or maybe the 15th anniversary of Kurt Cobain's death, where he was talking mm-hmm. about the early Weezer material is him learning Nirvana songs and then writing them backwards, and that's yeah, right. we, that became Weezer songs. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that there was like an element of. Uh, becoming the bit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like at first, it was like, obviously, his guitar chops are inf- influenced by uh, metal, but you know, Blue Album and Pinkerton, they were still kind of in that uh, college rock, indie rock kind of lane. Yeah. Um, and then by Green, and then certainly uh, in the in the early to mid two thousands, they kind of just like. I don't know if if the money was so good that they felt like they had to to lean into it more, or yeah, or maybe they're you know maybe they're out of touch and they're in their late thirties and and a little bit older and they think it's what's cool, they think it's what people want. I don't I don't really know. It's hard to say, but yeah, it definitely seems like they kind of just became the bit a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, it and it's. I mean, I guess to me, it's a really interesting band too. In in that, well, particularly from you know the the angle that you and I come from, certainly is that they are a band that is quite highly revered. I would say amongst the more like alternative community as well for right. what is they're you know obviously like they're a successful, popular band, but at the same time, like they're well liked by people who listen to hardcore and punk and metal and stuff like that. And I don't know if it, it is maybe because there is so much theater almost to the band as well. You know, like there is all these stories about them. And I guess, cause that's, I mean, I think I always think that's the thing that associates people a lot with, um, you know, metal and hardcore and alternative music in general is that like the stories and all the stuff that goes along with the music is, is as much a part of it often as the songs themselves are, you know, like, Oh, totally. And, yeah. And this band fits within that frame quite well in that there is so much like, you know, again, like this record, like this was meant to be a sci-fi opera. <laughs> like that, <laughs> that is, that's, you wouldn't say that about every other, you know, popular, you know, Nirvana no. certainly weren't writing that record or whatever, you know? No. And, and no one's, there's not a lot of uh, Goo Goo Dolls lore out there. Where you yeah. know, Google Dolls yeah. weren't writing space operas. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I would say that for sure the first two records. I don't know how concerned they were with theatrics. I think they were; those are probably them at their most authentic selves. If I could mm-hmm. get, if I could guess, you know. Yeah. Um, and I and I would I would also say that most people who like the stuff that we're into would would not really cop to liking the records after that where they get really theatrical. Yeah. Um, sure, sure. Except for me. Um, <laughs> uh, so, I mean, there's, there's an element to that. And, 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 you know, most bands who, who kind of steer in the emo or, um, I don't know, like the alternative, like the run for cover records kind of world. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. New I think grunge most, or whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I think most of them would, if they did cite any kind of Weezer fandom, it would be this record or, um, or Blue. But I would yeah. say most, mostly this record because because it's so dark, mm. and um, yeah, it's 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 interesting. I even I read 
I read even the guy from the Promise Ring, which is like a highly influential emo band. Um, yeah, said that this record was inspirational for them. So they're kind of yeah. like ro- roots emo, um, which sounds like a dirty word, um, but yeah, I, I just think that the the trajectory is is so. The life of this band is so interesting. Like whenever they're dead and gone, there this is going to be an interesting career to kind of like trace mm. the trajectory of. And I mean, it, it is now, but when you when you take these like first two records are like highly personal and have a lot of lore behind it and then you have mm. sort of most of their career is kind of soulless pop music yeah um, well and it's i think the other thing too that's that interests me a lot is that and again i'm not a fan you know like a, a big fan of the band so i don't i haven't looked into it so much but that you know that that is that that so much is wrapped up in one person from the band as well albeit oh, yeah. he is that he is the songwriter and the singer but at the same time like it's so interesting that like every just it, just reading about this record for example like reading the wikipedia page about yeah. this record is basically all about him and then it's yes. just like well yeah. the band was just there you know <laughs> like well the an interesting thing uh i actually should have brought this up earlier is the first two records um, the bass player is Matt Sharp, and mm-hmm. uh, he's he's the guy that's doing kind of all the high pitched like yeah. false, the falsetto funny noises. Um, mm-hmm. While in between Blue and Pinkerton, his other band, The Rentals, puts out an album called uh, Return of the Rentals, which is also um, one of my favorite records. It's uh, it's very it's similar to to Weezer in that it's kind of poppy, kind of heavy. Um, but it's only like drums, bass, and keyboards. Okay. And, and um, it's really awesome. But in between these two records, he puts that out. They do Pinkerton. Um, and then he leave, He leaves the band. And it's uh, a new a new bass. They actually have two, two new bass players uh, right. in between. And, and I personally think that it was, it was him that was kind of pulling uh like kind of saving rivers from himself a little bit in the song yeah yeah that makes sense you know like he's he must have been the guy in the studio who was like uh like maybe that's too much or you know what i mean let's go the next song on the spreadsheet yeah yeah i I think that i think that he was kind of the secret ingredient like everything's about rivers like rivers is the main songwriter even live he's the the lead guitar player um and singer so it's very much him the band is him but uh i really think matt sharp was the secret ingredient that was kind of keeping it from you know exploding or imploding um and becoming kind of hacky or whatever you know yeah and a a lot of bands a lot of bands have that you know uh Mm. um i've been in a band and bands where I have to be told like, ah, that's too far. You've gone one too far, <laughs> one riff oh, too yeah. far, or you know what I mean. So. I mean, like I, I, the the thing for me is, like, I mean, the band that I've played in the longest, you know, started as a hardcore band and then turned into like a stoner rock band, and that 
was entirely my fault. Like, you know, because <laughs> I was playing in a band with guys that I met from the hardcore scene and then just over the years trick them into being in the band I wanted to be in in school, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. It just... I mean, people do that. And, and certainly it's not a conscious decision. Like, when I when that was happening with me, I wasn't like, good, we've done the hardcore record, now I can convince them all to start listening to Black Sabbath as, you know, as adults. <laughs> right, right. But, I yeah. mean, I think it just it just happens, you know. And, and Oh, yeah. And I think the other thing, too, is that, like, I mean, I think you've probably had this experience as well, but I've... Certainly, you know, in I Exist, that band, like, that, I was, for the most part, like, I was the songwriter because I just wrote the songs and I, I took right. in the band practice and that, that's how, that became how it was. But then, obviously, subsequently, I've, I've also been in bands where I'm not that person at all and I'm just the guitar player or whatever. And in those yeah. bands, yes, certainly, I've, I've had that same opinion where something's been brought to to band practice or to a recording or something and it's just been like oh no that's not happening on this record yeah, totally <laughs> like, we, we can't do that <laughs> like, you know. and i think but, and there, there's like a level of humility that you have to have in order to either be the guy who says that to somebody or yeah. be able to hear it from somebody and and i think you know sometimes like i've been in bands where I'm in bands right now where I join after it has already existed for for a period of time and I am comfortable being just the guy that plays an instrument and mm. that's that's okay. Um I think in this situation and not not to say that these guys are hired guns or anything like that because they certainly aren't um you know three of them at least have been around since the blue album together. Um Yeah. But there is sort of, you know, every band has like the band boss, the guy who's kind of in charge of the vision. Um, it takes a lot of humility to be that guy and listen to someone else. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> and and, and I, when you're like, I can only, it's in hardcore, it's one thing, but I can only imagine what it's like when you're, you know, sold millions of albums. I bet it's kind of hard to listen to anybody. Well, and as and as well, when also you fucking <clears throat> putting your life into the music as well, like you care mm-hmm. about in in not in not in that like I don't care about the songs that I write, but in that like the stoner hardcore songs I've written are not reflections of my feelings. <laughs> like they're just <laughs> like you know, it's just like oh, I like this is how, this sounds cool to me. That's why I like it. It's not right. like I wrote this song about this experience I had, and it's change me forever and then you show it to your bandmates and one of them goes no this sucks like (laughs) well and think about it with pinkerton he wrote these super super personal songs yeah and then and then he showed it to the world and they said (laughs) this sucks (laughs) four out of ten buddy yeah yeah so i mean i i can can understand making a spreadsheet of 200 songs and and just saying yeah yeah pick 10 give me you know give me a budget pick 10 Mm. Yeah, I mean, it. Yeah, it is like, I think something that, yeah, I, you know, I, at this point, if I was to know and be able to experience this myself, I'm sure I would have already. But like, the, you know, there is very, there is something very interesting about 
you know, a band that, that, uh, has so much emotion tied up within what they do that then ends up, you know, doing Africa by Toto with Weird Al Yankovic and, years later, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, and I'll, I, and I'll tell you, I was at the show at the forum in LA where Weird Al came out on stage for the first time and played mm-hmm. Africa by Toto. <laughs> How was, was that experience? It it was cool to see Weird Al because I've been a Weird Al fan for longer yeah. than I've been a Weezer fan. <laughs> but <laughs> overall, it was god awful. And <laughs> yeah, uh, even the show, like I, this was two years ago, I guess, or maybe mm-hmm. maybe it was maybe it was last year. I don't remember. But overall, it was pretty awful. Like a pretty awful experience. Like he was wearing a um, a cat like a sea captain's uniform and. <laughs> I don't really know what he's got going on. He's become Weird Al, like, in his own way, you know? Yeah. He's become a parody of himself. Um, the songs are still good, so I, I'll, I'll keep listening. But it's yeah, it's a bummer that... And, and, and when I read that the Pinkerton tour was successful, I think about... It, ma- it makes me feel sad for him that yeah. he, ha- he had this great successful tour, but didn't sell it didn't sell the numbers that the label wanted and it was like critically torn up and still a run of amazing arena shows wasn't good enough for him yeah and, and that that bums me out because because you know in hardcore and, and and stuff it's totally the opposite like I could sell zero records but if I have a tour where every show is insane like that's the oh, ultimate yeah. yeah and I mean I think the uh, another thing too is like certainly my experience has i've pretty much always been a guy that's in bands that are like bands like them not people right yeah. like it's you know it and which you know i'm pretty i uh, i'm sure 10 years ago i would have hated to admit that but now i'm like who cares like the people right. who like my <laughs> bands are like the other guys in bands you know yeah. or like i prefer that or, honestly yeah, and be well. The the reason I prefer it is because like, I I hold up the opinion of my peers because they are also trying to do this, you know. And like oh, totally, when yeah. they tell me they like something or they think something's good, then that's cool because that's what I'm trying to do. And I would I I would give the same feedback to them, you know. Where, but yeah, I mean, like certainly, I don't. I guess I also don't the I don't know the other side of that then as well. I don't know the pressure that comes with that comes with selling a lot of records or, you know, I mean, and like, I think even just playing, you know, playing shows and when shows go well, like, like you said, that's the whole reason for me to like keep making music is to keep playing shows and to keep, you know, doing it. (laughs) I, I have found, I mean, I've always thought, I've always enjoyed writing and recording more than playing shows. I love playing shows. Mm -hmm. Um, or at least I used to, a lot more than I do now, but what I found on quarantine is I've I've gotten so much satisfaction out of demoing stuff at home and yeah, you know showing showing Colin and Taylor or showing you know showing some of my other friends and that almost that's almost enough now is just to like yeah spend spend you know thirty hours on one song in GarageBand get it as good as I can. And if I never record it for real, fine. I, I just, it, 
I walk around, you know, walk around the house on quarantine, like chattering my teeth to like drum parts in my head. <laughs> and, uh, you know, when the baby goes to sleep, I can come upstairs and, and demo some stuff out. And I've really grown to appreciate that, like quiet satisfaction as opposed to like needing people to retweet my record and yeah. come see us. Like, I, I think that, I don't know if I've grown out of needing that kind of validation or anything like that, but the quarantine definitely made me feel like, uh, the sort of the quiet, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's like the root of why I like making music because mm. it's not really for anyone else. It's like, I make it, I really like it. I show a couple of my friends, they tell me what could be better or if they like it. And then that's kind of it. And I feel like that's kind of as pure as it could be. And uh, I found that over quarantine, which is yeah. cool. I mean, when all this started for me, I, and again, like I've talked about it on this already, but like when all this started for me, <clears throat> I had this weird thing where, I mean, I just had no, I don't know if it was like my emotional response to this or the fact that like, the circumstance that I that I am in here where my girlfriend lives with me, she does not during this period. And like I don't know oh. if there's <laughs> there's other things going on in my brain, but like it I found it when this all started like so difficult to even like play guitar. Like I was just oh, really? like I had no I just had no interest in it. I don't know why. Because I've always written everything that I've ever written has happened in this room. You know, right. it's always like, I'm always sitting here when I do that stuff. But like, I don't know if it was just like being forced out of interacting with other people made me like revert into something that I've never experienced before. But like, I certainly over the last maybe like two months, I think maybe like getting used to this now, now I am starting to do things like demo songs all the time and like even just, you know, we're going to try and do figure out how to record a new record with this band I'm in. And like the reality is like, well, we can't do it the way we used to do it, but we want to do it. I don't want to, mm-hmm. I can't just fucking wait. Like who knows when this is going to end? Like I'm not going to, yeah. you know, Especially I'm not now. just going <laughs> to, well, yeah. And I'm, I'm not just going to pack it in because I, I have to wait for it, you know? So that sort of like reinvigorated me a bit, but and I think as well, like even doing this, like just talking to people about music a bit more has like has helped with that as well. But like, I don't know. I think I certainly have the same uh, experience, at least, of like um, not requiring playing in front of people to make me like what I what I've done or like you know feel feel like I've achieved something with a song that I've written or, or whatever. You know, like it, it is. It's it's strange how that changes though, because I guess when I was younger, like the only reason to play music was to play shows, you know, <laughs> like that was it. Yeah, it was like before it was I want to see people like go crazy and and beat each other up, and now it's just like text my friend an MP3 and they just say badass, and then I'm like <laughs> that's that's all I want, you know. <laughs> that's all I need. <laughs> yeah, that's all I need. And I was kind of the opposite of you actually. Um, I would go through, like, I was not writing music before quarantine so much. I was kind of, uh, I was, like, kind of hardcore out for a while. I was kind of not really playing guitar that much. And um, having to work from home and, you know, commuting in L.A. is, like, half a work day. 
yeah, not already. Yet. So I'm not commuting. I'm able to work from home kind of on my own schedule. And uh, I had I just felt like I had a lot more time to kind of find out why I liked writing songs again. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's been it's been super rewarding. And I'm excited to when I am finally able to to record for real um, if I decide to do that. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 what the feeling that I feel right now about writing music is kind of what I think he kind of lost after this record came out. Sure. And, and, and thus the, you know, Excel spreadsheet of, of songs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, is that, and is that the, um, like, are you writing, are you writing stuff for anything in particular? Are you just finding yourself enjoying playing guitar and doing whatever? Uh, so I, I started writing, um, I wrote a new demo that I'm probably going to end up scrapping anyway. It was kind of more of not experimenting, but like I started writing a new hardcore demo for, for me and my, um, me and one of my friends. Yeah. And just cause I hadn't started a new hardcore band in such a long time. And, and t- mm. the two, other, the, the two other bands that I played guitar for, um, are kind of over now. Yeah. And, uh, I wanted to do more than just play bass and in and, and bands. So I started writing for that. Um, and then I'm just writing kind of more, uh, more new, new mag stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, and get, and honestly, I'm just trying to get better at guitar. I've never been like a guitar player. Like I've been an yeah. adequate hardcore guitar player. Um, I'm exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, I've been good enough basically my, the whole time I've been playing music and uh, joining Twitching Tongues, playing bass made me a better guitar player. Mm. Um, cause, cause I never had to, you know, my either hand never had to be that fast before for me. Yeah. Um, so uh, that experience um, made me, made me a better guitar player. So through that, throughout this whole time, I'm just learning scales. I, I never knew scales before, you know, so I'm yeah. learning that. Um, Overall, just playing guitar a lot more. I have like a lot of nice guitars, and I'm not a good guitar player. So <laughs> I just like to have, I just like to have like if I have a guitar, I want it to be a good one, you know. Um, well, and I I found that for me personally, that's always made me want to play guitar more. <laughs> like having <laughs> having good stuff that like forces me into practicing. Like yeah, totally. Yeah. We uh we were on tour and Taylor Taylor and I were talking about Les Paul Customs, and I was like. I don't think I'm good enough to pay three thousand dollars for a guitar. Like, yeah. I'm like a, I'm like a solid like, I'm like a, hmm, I'm like a Les Paul Studio. You know, <laughs> I'm a strong Les Paul Studio. Yeah. Like, you don't want to spend more than eleven hundred bucks on my guitar. I, uh, I, I like. I think about that pretty often. In that, like, uh, the amount of money I've spent on shit guitars. If I just bought one good one, <laughs> one like, good one, yeah. Like I, I often think that as well. Like I, I was even like as as recently as two days ago was like, <laughs> you know, lo- looking at guitars online. And I'm like, I don't know if I can justify buying a two thousand dollar guitar, but I can buy three seven hundred dollar Jacksons <laughs> and never use them. <laughs> you know, like yeah, that's and. I was in. There was a point where I was in so many bands where I was like, I need to have a different guitar for every single band. It's like, oh, that's me all the yeah. time. 
every time. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I, I like. I uh, I, I simply will not I... tune a guitar from E to D. Like I need to have to. <laughs> yeah, I you know I joined God's Hate and yeah. At first, at first I was playing guitar, so I was like, all right, I'm gonna go buy an ESP uh, for that band, and then I have this other band where I'm gonna play the Les Paul Custom. Then I have this other band where I'm gonna play a Strat, and then you know it's it's just excessive. I'm not good enough for any of that. So, <laughs> well, yeah, and I mean I... My, my thing with it too right now is like. They're not even going anywhere. Like I'm literally, I can, I'm within touching distance right now of five <laughs> guitars that just stay in here. You know? Yeah. It's and then I, you know, I did end up buying a Les Paul Custom, and I said that's gonna be the last last guitar I ever buy. And then I bought like a really nice Strat. Um, <laughs> and then I said that because to me it's like I got a Les Paul, I got a Strat. I kind of don't need anything else after that. Um, but yeah, it's just. Now I'm like playing the guitars a lot more. It's, it feels really good, even though I have this like really nice 800 that is basically dead. So I'm just playing through my computer right now. Oh yeah, and same same thing. Like last, I don't know, if, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but like all my stuff got stolen, and I got most of it back. And wow, since since which is great, but since getting a lot of it back, I mean. One of the guitars that I like fought tooth and nail to get back. I've played probably four times since I, you know. Is it because does it because it feels does it feel tainted and that's why you don't want to play it? Uh, I don't know if it's that or if it's more like I never want it to leave this room because oh, okay. it might get stolen again. <laughs> you know, like. I, I I had a I had a guitar or um, my car got stolen and yeah. In the guitar actually was a Les Paul studio. <laughs> and, um, and when I got the car back, of course the guitar was gone. And yeah. um, I got the car cleaned up. It was fine, whatever. And I hated being inside of it. Like, yeah. it, felt, it felt violated to me. And uh, I eventually like, got rid of it, like, soon after. But, yeah. Yeah. My, my thing is, like, I was so mad when my stuff got stolen because obviously it belongs to me and it didn't belong to the guy who stole it. But moreover was that I live in an apartment building and I have I I have a folder on my computer that is all the video footage of him stealing all my stuff and <laughs> like I have HD color video of this fucking idiot stealing my property and it's still like, I don't know if that's something that's going to, like, define me now is the spite that I hold for this thing. And the fact that <laughs> there's one, the one thing that I didn't get back is the thing that I wanted the most. So, oh, like, no. it's, and, like, but the guy is in jail, so I'm glad about that. Like, that part of it, there was some justice served, but, like. For, was it, is he in jail for stealing your stuff? He is in jail for stealing my stuff. So when he stole my stuff, I he, him robbing me was the first time he had been like caught on camera. Mm. And but there was five other warrants out for his arrest for theft and my stuff effectively is what caught him because they got him on camera and then he sold my stuff to like a a porn store. And it got reported to me, and that's how I got it back. Um, nice. And they like pinged him on all, you know, he, they, 
he got caught, you know, for all these other charges or whatever that were out for him. Um, but like the, the, the thing that's just been grinding on me the whole time as well is that like, I never got to, I know they were like saying to me like, oh, you know, we might need you to come and give evidence at his court hearing. And I was like, here we fucking go. Like, I cannot <laughs> wait to be in that, you know, and again, I've never been in a courtroom in Australia. I don't know what it looks like, but in my head, it's, you know, SVU, I'm on the stand, right. <laughs> like, you know, but like, I never, I, I think part of me is just devastated that I never got to do that. <laughs> like, I just, I just never heard. I did hear from the, the detective did call me and tell me that he'd been like sentenced and that was the end of it. But like, I, and I did, I did actually say like, and it's one of the things that like, I think about now and just laugh at in my head. Like he called me to tell me that that had been like resolved and that was kind of the end of it. And I was like, so any update on that flying V or <laughs> and he was like, nah, mate, there's, we don't know where that is. That's gone. And there is like, no Fuck. flying V anymore. Yeah. yeah. Damn it. <laughs> but you know, whatever. No yeah. I didn't, I didn't, that. I didn't even have the foresight to like write my serial numbers down. Like I was, mm. I had, it sucked so bad. I was, there was a show on my birthday in Detroit and this was when I was living in Chicago. Yeah. Um, I had previously cracked the neck on that studio, and my friend for my birthday got it repaired. And he gave it to me at the show. I drove back to Chicago at like three in the morning. We, yeah. we pull up to, to our apartment, and uh, I pull my uh, dual wreck out of the out of the car. We go upstairs. And I'm like, should I go down and get the guitar? It's probably fine. <laughs> and and I was like, you know, I got to wake up for work in a few hours. It's going to be fine. Whatever. And then I, I wake up for work the next morning and the car's gone. I, I never even got to play the, the repaired guitar. Fuck. I mean, that's, that's almost the exact same thing that happened with this. Like, we recorded an album. So, I had all my stuff in my car. Like, I, had, I drove back up to Canberra where the band is from to, to do it. And came home and we live in an apartment building and there's like storage cages, but it's not like it's not secure. Like it's gated. You need a code to get in. You need a, you know, an alarm thing to get in. It's locked in a locked cage. You can't see into the cage. It's all anyway. Um, but I would always like, whenever I come home, I bring all my stuff back up here. That one day I drove eight hours (laughs) back from Canberra, got home and I was like, I'll just put it in the cage. I'll come down and get it tomorrow. Put it all in the cage. <laughs> go to bed. My girlfriend leaves to go to work. She comes back upstairs and she's like, hey, so there's a problem. And I was like thinking she had a car issue or something. And I was like, what's what's the problem? And she was just like, all your guitars are gone. And I was like, oh my God. Fuck. And I walked <laughs> walked down into the garage and he'd use like bolt cutters and just cut a hole in the in the cage and just pulled all my stuff out <laughs> and oh no but the whole reason my girlfriend even noticed that it happened is cuz he left one guitar behind so he, like and as i have video evidence it's because he got scared because someone came into the garage but she noticed because a guitar was just like half out of the cage like <laughs> <laughs> and yeah and it was just like i went i walked down there saw 
a guitar hanging half out of the cage and I was just like fucking kill me like the one time I didn't fucking <laughs> yeah, bring all awful. this stuff upstairs it's so annoying and then it then from that moment it turned into like just total every crime tv show I've ever seen like there was a cigarette butt on the ground and my girlfriend was like you should keep that and I was like yeah it's got <laughs> DNA on it I've got I've I've got him <laughs> like <laughs> you know? And I remember when I called the cops and the cops came out to look and I was like, I got this cigarette button. The cop was like, thanks, mate. We'll, we'll take it. Like, <laughs> you know, like in a Ziploc bag. <laughs> anyway. I haven't, I have never actually told that story so publicly. So now everyone can, uh, can know the inside yeah. out of my uh, theft. Bring, bring your stuff, bring your stuff inside is the moral of <laughs> yeah, these exactly. stories. Yeah, to the general public, do not leave your shit in your car yeah. or in your garage. Bring it into and your my, life. My stuff was like, my car was just parked on the street in Chicago. Like, <laughs> not smart. And if yeah. you if you know anything about Chicago, I mean, harm's yeah. way, their stuff got stolen in front of his house. <laughs> Dude. Whole van, a whole van. I, so. For, for a group of people that I'm very good friends with, the amount of time that that has happened to them is just is insane insane <laughs> when they were here i think a month after or two months after the trailer got stolen in vegas and just mm-hmm. james and Bo talking to me about like they just took the trailer they just yeah. took the uh, like and i just thought to myself like who does well one who does that but also like how do you? How are you that savvy with crime that you just like? Oh, I'm taking that whole trailer. <laughs> like you, know, you got to be. Don't know what's to be in it, really but I'm good. taking it. You got to be really good at crime for that. Yeah, it's. I uh, I think I don't remember if we were. I'd have to look at the dates, but I'm pretty sure Twitching Tongues was on tour when the Vegas one happened, and I was just straight up so paranoid from then on out. Like, yeah. I would make sure that the the trailer was backed into a wall. I would like if we stayed at a hotel that was like slightly sketchy, I would sleep in the van or I don't even know. It was I was just always so paranoid anywhere we went. Oh, and um, I mean, I think that. and like th- like them too, like I mean, I was in obviously in the states like last year with them and their response themselves to how they now deal with that is like you know, I, and I get, you know, I'm friends with them, so I know that it's an active response to an active thing that occurred to them. But as an outsider, right. I'm sure I'm sure it looked insane, the measures they were putting in place. Oh, to, yeah. But, like, at the same time, like, if, I wouldn't want that shit to happen to me. Like, and it, no. and I know it very well now because it has happened to me in my fucking house. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I mean, Freedom, uh, my one of my old bands, Freedom, we got robbed in uh, in Brooklyn, like... I guess it was three years ago, yeah. and we we parked our van on like a sketchy side street. I guess I guess you'd call it sketchy, but um, I we, everyone took their guitars into to the apartment that we were staying in. I brought a backpack with like a change of clothes and like anything that else that was like valuable, and we walk back out to the van in the morning all the windows are smashed out they took my personal bag 
and all of our merch, both uh, it was us and the band Fury sharing a yeah. van. They took our merch, everyone, all, all our merch bags and my personal bag um, and left all the guitar heads. And, and I, think there was, I think there was another guitar in there. Um, <clears throat> but left, so lucky. The, <laughs> left the actual expensive stuff and then yeah. took all of our merch. And then it, a few days later, like kids, uh, like hardcore kids in New York would text us. Um, they would see like homeless people wearing freedom shirts and like, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) eventually, like once we got enough distance from the actual incident, it became pretty funny. So, yeah, I mean, I, I had not, not this is slightly different experience, but when I was like 19, my family went to Africa on a holiday and I, I did a walk up to, to like the I guess, like, the easiest part of getting up Mount Kilimanjaro. Oh, wow. And I walked, like, this, did this hike or whatever. A whole way up, you know, just fucking sweating my ass off so fucked with, <laughs> you know, these these just, you know, specimens of people just leading the way who are, like, this fat white guy following them. Like, what the fuck <laughs> are you doing? Anyway, get get up to the top and I'm just a wreck. Yeah, I think we had like lunch or something there and then we walk back down. We get back down to the bottom and the whole way the dude who was like leading uh leading it was like, I love your shirt, love your shirt the whole time. And we got to the end of the thing and I was so fucked and so sweaty and so gross. And he was like, Where can I buy that shirt? And it was this <laughs> Australian hardcore band, Samsara. Just like and it was just like a white shirt that said Samsara on it. And I was like, Man, this is disgusting, but you can just have this shirt. Like I'm, as of at the end of this day, I was definitely going to throw this out following how gross I am <laughs> after this. And I gave him the shirt. And then like three days later, when we were leaving Zimbabwe, we were, tra- we were driving down the road and I saw a completely different older man wearing the Samsara shirt, like <laughs> miles and miles away from the hotel. And I was like, that guy definitely got robbed and this guy's stolen the Sam Sarge. And it was just like an <laughs> old guy walking down the road wearing it. And I was like, this is, that's so fucking weird that that's how it ended up. Like, it's so bizarre. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we've spiraled out of not talking about the record. So let's uh, we'll fucking I'll wrap it up. But um, sure. thank you very much for yeah. talking to me appreciate it i had a a great time i I love this record i think uh i think a lot of the lyrics are are maybe a little suspect in in 2020 um sure but you know that's how it goes i guess with a lot of music as time passes on but uh yeah i think it's a it's a great record if you have the the means you should definitely check out the the b-sides because i think yeah if you're like kind of a weezer hater or or you know, you see them for the Beverly Hills of it all. Um, yeah. Maybe give maybe give some of these tracks a chance because it's it rocks definitely a lot harder than you probably think it does. So, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I would well, thank you. I would hundred percent agree. <laughs> like the yeah, <laughs> if if well, and not that like not that I don't like the other part of it, but certainly like mm-hmm. like I said at the start, like I think the things that I like the most about this. Uh, after the after the record, I suppose. Right, right. The the extra stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Well, yeah. Thank, thanks, thanks for doing it, man. 
Yeah, thank you very much for having me.